In this time of extreme politics, what's at stake for the party that lost the White House in 2020? Is it true, as some say, that the Republican Party has lost its way, no longer standing for core Republican values, that it needs to purge itself of whatever it was that brought Donald Trump to power? Not at all is the pushback. The GOP should be doubling down on the Trump message and the Trump style, which spoke to millions, and then build out from there. The answer to this question could define American politics for a generation to come. Has the GOP lost its way? Arguing for the motion is former U.S. Senator from Arizona Jeff Flake. He served from 2013 to 2019 after six terms in the House of Representatives. His partner, Carlos Curbelo, a former U.S. congressman from Florida's 26th district who served on the powerful House Committee on Ways and Means. Opposing them, Kimberly A. Strassel, author and member of the editorial board for The Wall Street Journal, and Ben Dominich, the publisher of The Federalist and host of The Federalist Radio Hour. Thanks to all of you for joining us. Great to be here. My pleasure. Thank you. Hi. Great to be here. Good to be with you. And you're all, you're all over the world, actually. Uh, Kimberly, you're in Alaska, and Jeff, you're in Arizona. Uh, ben, you are in uh, Virginia. And Carlos, you're in northern Michigan, in a, in a, some of us in very cold places, and I am in Washington, <laughs> D.C. Well, I want to get started on round one. And round one are opening statements from each debater in turn. Those statements will be four minutes each. Our motion is the GOP has lost its way. And first up to be speaking for the motion, Carlos Curbelo, the screen is all yours. John, thank you so much. This discussion is critical for the Republican Party, but it is even more important for our democracy. There are only two parties in this country. We're not like some European countries where you can really pick the perfect party for you. Here, we only have two. And in order for one uh, to be able to hold the other accountable, it has to be viable. It has to have credibility uh, with uh, a, a majority of, of the voters in a country. It has to be a reasonable choice for most people. And the problem we have today in our democracy is that the Republican Party is a party engulfed in lies and in fear. Uh, I remember uh, the good old days where Republicans used to get attacked and criticized by their own for maybe breaking a tax pledge or perhaps uh, not favoring some restrictions on abortion. And that kind of tension in a party is natural. What's not natural is that diversity within a party include people who endorse and proliferate lies. So Back then, 20 years ago, Republicans used to get disqualified over policy differences or they used to get attacked. These days, Republicans are getting attacked simply for expressing simple truths. A lot of Republicans who had the courage to step forward, and sadly, it does require courage in today's Republican Party to recognize that uh, Joe Biden had won the 2020 presidential election while Republicans outperform in the Senate and certainly the House. Those Republicans were criticized for being disloyal. They, uh, people in the party tried to suppress them. And many others uh, took the easy way out these days, which is representative of the problem, the easy way out to endorse and to promote the president's lies. A party that cannot express simple truths is a party that has lost its way. Republicans are in so much trouble these days that they can only do the right thing when no one is looking. Most people tend to behave when everyone's watching. Republicans misbehave when everyone's watching. However, when, they're, when base voters can't see them, 
They do things like overwhelmingly support Liz Cheney, someone who was pilloried publicly for uh, recognizing that President Trump incited the riot on the 6th of January. So it's lies and it's also fear. It's very difficult for a party, for any leader to lead when they are driven by fear. And the reason why a lot of Republicans don't express simple truths, the reason why they will say things in private that they would never say in public is because they are afraid. Lies and fear, those are two major forces in today's Republican Party. There are a lot of good Republicans fighting it, trying to save the party uh, from those uh, twin crises, but uh, it is an uphill battle. Okay, Carlos, I'm sorry, I have to jump in that your time is up, but thank you very much. Our next speaker will be arguing against the motion that the GOP has lost its way. Here is Ben Dominich. Ben, the floor is yours. Thank you, John. Uh, The motion before us is the GOP has lost its way. And I don't think there's any question uh, that when it comes to this motion, the media is entirely on the side of our opponents today. From the Washington Post, the headline, the GOP isn't doomed, it's dead. From the New York Times, there's nothing left why thousands of Republicans are leaving the party. To say the GOP has lost its way, though, presumes that in the recent past, things were going pretty well for the Republican Party. But how well was that GOP really doing? It was a party that held the White House, the House, and the Senate together for only six years out of the previous 24. They squandered so much the goodwill of the voters that they gave Barack Obama a filibuster-proof Senate majority. The Republican Party has been understood for a long time as being a fusion of different ideas, the three-legged stool that has fiscal conservatism, social traditionalism, and strong national defense. But how they've addressed these different factions has changed over the years in significant ways. Uh, As recent books by Henry Olson and Christopher Caldwell detail, uh, Ronald Reagan made a deliberate decision to kind of sacrifice that fiscal stool because he felt he needed to confront the existential threat of the Soviet Union. He made peace with all those programs he'd criticized over the years and ended up raising the debt ceiling 18 times, more than W. Obama and Trump combined. That sort of fiscal irresponsibility would creep into the future. Under George W. Bush, the consensus of the nation's Republicans elite, Republican elites was that tax programs built for corporations, trade programs that hollowed out American manufacturing and welcomed cheap Chinese goods, and forward adventurism to recapture some of that Cold War mojo were things that ought to be good and noble for the party to achieve. Rather than build the permanent Republican majority that Karl Rove promised at the time, uh, the voters rebelled against all of this. They turned against the GOP expert class that squandered opportunities around the world, mismanaged hurricanes, sent social conservatives disingenuous messages on gay marriage, and bailed out Wall Street in the name of saving capitalism. According to Real Clear Politics, and we should remember this, George W. Bush, after all that's happened, left office with an approval rating 10 points lower than Donald Trump's. Americans wanted something different, so they fired House Republican leaders. They brought in Nancy Pelosi instead of Hillary Clinton. They tried their hopes on a young new senator. They uh, reacted to the overreach of Democrat partisans underneath him, uh, threw some people out, uh, including Pelosi and Harry Reid. And then in 2016, they effectively threw everyone out by going with Donald Trump. 2016 was a response to our elite institutions having failed the people that they are meant to serve and the failure of the GOP to live up to its constituents' desires for change. 
Representative government does represent, as Calvin Coolidge said. And if your constituents say the status quo is intolerable, it's better to genuinely listen to their concerns and understand why they have them and try to harmonize your policies with their desires. In this case, the rise of populism in recent years has actually brought the GOP back closer to what it's been historically, the parties of, of Ike, of Nixon, and of Reagan, a party that is increasingly focused on national interest and in defense in trade and immigration policy, on prioritizing working middle class and small business concerns in taxes and regulation, and on fighting a culture war that defends the American idea and its founding as fundamentally good against the lies of woke anti-racism. They've shed the corporate cash for the small dollar donor and got the vestiges of country club Republicans in favor of a more populist base. Given that the Biden administration already seems intent on attacking the shared priorities of this new Republican coalition, uh, it's very possible for them to hold this together in the future days. And finally, no party that comes 90,000 votes away from sweeping the White House, the House, and the Senate can be considered to have lost its way. Vote against the motion. Thank you, Ben Dominich. All right, here's where we are. We have heard the first two opening statements. Coming up next on screen with an opening statement in support of the resolution that the GOP has lost its way, here is Jeff Flake. Jeff, the floor is yours. Well, it's great to be here. And I first want to associate myself with Carlos's statement. And uh, I just would want to remind us all, Republicans in my case, that uh, you know our first article of faith has always been a healthy mistrust of concentrated power, particularly in the executive. And I would ask you, if you're questioning whether we have lost our way, look at where we are right now, today. Uh, We are in the midst of an impeachment hearing, a second for this president. And we're discussing whether or not the words that he used in a speech just before the Capitol was sacked were sufficiently incendiary uh, to cause that attack. Uh, What isn't at question at all is what brought us here. As, as Carlos has said, we have gotten away from truth. If we haven't lost our way, what have we done? We have lost our way. The question is, did the president lose the election? We all know, he knows, everyone knows that he lost that election. Yet the president promoted that lie. And too many elected officials on the Republican Party, in the Republican Party, parroted that claim. That's why we're here where we are today. Ask yourself when you're voting on this resolution, where are we today? We're trying to decide whether to bar a president from ever running again, the head of our party. Now, if you want to look and see where we are politically, and I would say that uh, if you're not based on truth, what good is it to win elections? But fortunately, the American people have, are wise to this, and they're looking at us. And we see what's happened since President Trump was elected four years ago. We've lost the House of Representatives in the midterm elections. Now we've lost the White House. For only the third time in a century, an incumbent president has lost re-election. We've lost lost the White House, the House. Now we've lost the Senate. And also remind you, we have for the first time in 72 years here in Arizona, Goldwater country, two Democrats representing the state. First time in 72 years. We came within a whisker of losing our state house and our state Senate. So for all this winning, I don't know where it is. Uh, we've clearly lost our way as Republicans. We cannot push on ahead unless we first recognize truth. 
That's where we are today. We have lost our way. We can and should and need to come back as a party. As Carlos said, for whatever reason, we've given ourselves two parties in this country. We need both to be sane and rational. And my feeling is that when Americans are given the choice, they will choose conservatism. Uh, We have to give them that choice. Thanks. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. When we come back, we'll have our final opening statement, and then we'll head into round two of the debate, including audience questions. You're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan, and we are in the middle of opening statements on this debate motion, The GOP Has Lost Its Way. Now we'll hear more from our esteemed debaters. And our final opening statement will be coming against the resolution. It comes from Kimberly Strassel. Kimberly, the floor is yours. Thank you. Um, To debate the motion that the GOP has lost its way, we first have to define it. I would argue you could do that in two ways. You could make the argument that it had lost its morality or its principles, or you might make the argument that it has somehow lost uh, the belief of the voters. I'm here to tell you today that on both of those fronts, in terms of evidence and history, they're simply not true. Uh, One of our worthy opponents recently penned an op-ed in which uh, he claimed that the GOP had, quote, rejected its core conservative principles in favor of a demagogue, end quote. How so? Really? Uh, Tell it to Joe Biden, who's been directing his people to try to undo one of the greatest periods of deregulation in the history of the country. By some estimates, the federal government's reach declined by a third in the past four years. We conservatives, principled conservatives, call that limited government. Or ask all those Democratic activists who are pushing to stack the Supreme Court. Why? Three numbers, 174 district court judges, 54 appellate court judges, and three Supreme Court justices. We principled conservatives, we call that a win. Now, I would wager some of you out there are are hating my describing all of this uh, and cringing as I talk about these victories because you don't agree with them. And I would humbly submit to you that proves my point. Uh, Donald Trump went out and he did confront a, a number of third rail topics within the GOP, but he then used his mandate to push through one of the more far reaching uh, Republican and conservative agendas uh, in, in, in 30 years. And he did so on the basis of foundational conservative principles. The GOP hasn't lost its way. It's been reveling in them uh, for the past four years. So I think the point here is that you cannot make the argument that the GOP has lost its way, especially when you look at the people that have been brought in, the coalition that won the GOP those victories that day. Um, they had amazing new inroads with Hispanics, uh, with Latinos, with uh, black voters, with working class voters, uh, even with urban voters. This is the coalition that Ben is describing that has now come about. How do you make the case that a GOP that had its best policy run in 30 years and almost a near perfect election day has lost its way? You can't. So I ask you, to put aside the beltway chatter, look at the actual facts on the ground, and vote against the resolution. Thank you very much, Kimberly Strassel. And that concludes the first round of this debate, opening statements. And now we move on to round two. And round two is a little bit more freewheeling. Uh, the debaters can question and challenge one another, and they'll also be taking 
questions from me. Um, what I've heard in the opening statements is a, a variety of ways in which we could gauge this question, a variety of metrics. There's really the question of whether the party is internally cohesive and, and glued together, or is it coming apart? Has it been successful in terms of policy or has it failed? Does it know what it stands for? Uh, does it stand for morality? And also the practical question of can the party win? Is it winning? Can it do what a party is supposed to do, which is to to affect policy by persuading voters to to vote for it or not? Um, I want to bring it back to you, Carlos, as you were uh, the the opening speaker, and say that what I heard from your opponents was no real direct response to the I would say the moral question that you raised, and I would put it in the moral category that the party has stopped standing for truth, that the party has not been exhibiting truth and decency. So can, can you go at that point in a way that perhaps would provoke a response from your opponents to address those particular issues? Well, John, I think what's important for our friends on the other side to understand is that this is not about policy. This is about integrity. This is about honesty. And we all know that a political party isn't a club, okay? A political party is an organization that is designed to lead a country. And you can't lead a country when you're constantly lying to people. You can't effectively lead a country when you're using lies and conspiracy theories to divide the people who you're supposed to serve. That's why it's so important for everyone uh, to, it, it, as they vote today, to recognize the simple truth that the Republican Party has indeed lost its way because while it may be doing some good things in terms of policy, it is lying to people and it is fooling people. So, Carlos, you are, ta- you are, you are painting the entire party with quite a broad brush. So are you saying that this, this, the, the, this moral failing is, is endemic to the party as a whole right now or is it, is, is it go ahead. This, the current situation is endemic to the influence that Donald Trump had on the party. Most Republicans, most congressional Republicans will acknowledge this privately. And again, that's the problem, that people aren't telling the camera what they're telling their friends. Why? Because Donald Trump converted the Republican Party into a personal club to advance his interests and even to question Uh, or to challenge free and fair election results, uh, and in doing so, incited a riot that resulted in the defiling of uh, one of the greatest structures in the history of democratic government and in the death of five people. So this is way beyond policy. And if we're going to have an honest conversation about the Republican Party, we have to confront this crisis, this cancer Uh, that is preventing a lot of Republicans, not all, from telling people the truth, from being honest with the voters, and from serving with decency. Okay. I want to take this question to Ben Dominich. And Ben, I heard in your opening statement that the thrust of your argument is that that the the present-day Republican Party has found its way, that it's a th- it is reestablishing the kinds of connections with voters that it repre- that, that were, uh, you're arguing were more pre- uh, prevalent and rooted in the 50s, 60s, perhaps early 70s. I know that that's your argument. I want to get to that. But right now, I'd like you to respond directly to the point that Carlos is making about he's talking about deceit, dishonesty, absence of truth at the top of the party. He's named the president 
former President Donald Trump by name, but I think he's by implication talking about other members of the leadership who have supported and abetted him. The question of honesty and truth being so corrosive that it makes it impossible to say that the party has lost its way. Can you address that? And I promise we will get to your argument later. I think the problem is that a lot of the critics of of this moment won't to go so far as to as to acknowledge that the approach that's been used here is really one that Republican voters have demanded. And one of the reasons that they've demanded it, I would say, is that they've adjusted what they believe and what they want in terms of morality from their politicians. Uh, I think virtually every Republican would tell you that Mitt Romney is a nicer guy and someone that they would like to have as their neighbor. And certainly I think that they respect that he's someone of faith and has, uh, you know, it's personal deep moral values. On the flip side, I think a lot of social conservatives in America basically said, we want to elect someone so we can stop seeing the kind of religious persecution we care about. And that's more important to us than the fact that his personal life is obviously nothing like the above board nature of Mitt Romney's. That's a calculation that I think the voters made. And we need to live in the reality where that's one that was made out of both pragmatism and, frankly, a real concern on their part that they saw uh, a real encroachment under the Obama administration on their rights. As to the idea of, of sort of truth and conspiracy theories, I certainly concede that I don't think that we should be you know, uh, entertaining anything like uh, what has been rolled out there in some portions of, of media over the last several months that fomented a lot of things. At the same time, we lived through three years and four years, I would really say, continuing to this day of being told that Donald Trump was a Russian asset, something that is absolutely a conspiracy and, and is something that is simply not justified by the facts as we know them, not justified by the Mueller report itself. And so I think in that climate, you know, look, you're going to hear conspiracy theories on both sides of the aisle. I think that's going to be something we have to get used to in this modern age. All right. So, Jeff, like I want to bring to you now the thrust of the argument that uh, that Ben made in his opening. In in his response, he's basically saying that the the, the behavior, the, the the less admirable behavior of some members of the Republican leadership, which I think he's conceding are are real and are, and perhaps problematic, that that behavior nevertheless is the response to a response from the general public of dis- dissatisfaction, frustration with, as he said in his opening, the the party elite, the party that was sort of running the show for the last 25 years. And, and, and he certainly did not single you out by name, but I think perhaps by implication, he's talking about an establishment that he might recognize you as part of. So what he's saying is that, that everything that's not very pleasant right now is a rational, reasonable, understandable, dissectable response to bad behavior by the Republican Party. By bad behavior, I mean, in this sense, behavior that did not live up to the expectations and needs of the voters. And that in that sense, the problem began a long time before, and that the last four years have been a corrective, that the party has found its way. What about that? We're in the middle of impeachment hearings where a president lost an election and used every means at his disposal, including violence, to try to hold on to his job. Uh, to, to say that, you know, yeah, we got some good policy, but, you know, so we'll excuse that kind of thing. Think about what we're saying here. But I would argue on the policy side as well to, to argue that if uh, Marco Rubio would have won the 2016 primary um, or if Ted Cruz or, or anybody else, Jeb Bush, that they wouldn't have appointed conservative judges. Of whom I voted for um, that they wouldn't have pursued tax cuts or regulatory reform, which I voted for as well. Those are good things. But the notion that only Donald Trump could deliver that 
and that nobody else would, the establishment somehow wouldn't have delivered that or other candidates. Um, and that somehow the fact that Donald Trump was able to get tax cuts, you know, across the transom should excuse him losing an election and trying to hold on to that loss um, or say that he won by using levers at the uh, Department of Justice or inciting a mob to go ransack the Capitol, that that's somehow worth it. And we as Republicans should be feeling grateful somehow, and we're in a better position. We're not. <laughs> we're not. Since the sacking of the Capitol on January 6th, 140,000 re registered Republicans across the country have re-registered as something else. Now, there's always churn after an election. Some will go the other way, but that is extremely odd for that many. In Arizona, more than 10,000 Republicans have said, we can't take this anymore and have changed their registration just since January 6th. Like I said, there's always churn and you'll find some going the other way, but not to the extent that we've seen. All so, right. no, it's just uh, the, the, the scale at which it just doesn't work. No, I mean, I just in interject yeah. one thing. I would not put Jeff Flake in the category of the establishment in part because I remember when Joe Biden about a decade ago called him a terrorist when he was part of the Tea Party group uh, forcing the debate over the, the uh, budget amendment. So, no, I would not I would not deign to put him in the in the, in the establishment. All right. Thank you for correcting me. And I, and I, I stand corrected I as a moderator. Also, Kimberly, please come in. I would just point out, I remember the Jeff Flake that back when Republicans uh, lost their House majority, uh, pointed out it was because they had lost their way. Um, we and that they weren't responding to the wills of the of the voters. And I, I think this gets to an important point about what Jeff just said. He said, well, you know, if, if Marco Rubio had won or if Jeb Bush had won, this is Ben's point. They probably wouldn't have. Because Donald Trump, whether you like him or hate him, managed to address a number of issues that many conservative voters felt had not been addressed over the years by their party. Um, and then, you know, I'm also not entirely certain that you would have had uh, some of those politicians taking the very aggressive steps that Donald Trump did on a number of issues, like, for instance, withdrawing from the Paris Climate Accord, because Again, one of the things that has frustrated conservative voters so long over the years is watching politicians come in and then be browbeat into certain acceptable positions as defined by the Beltway media and Democrats, you know, in particular on issues like the environment. Um, and so I, I'm not quite sure I accept the premise that all of this would have taken place with another politician. Ben? There's another elephant in the room, which is that there's a lot of moderate or what I would describe as centrist members of the Republican conference in both the House and the Senate who are clearly not down for this impeachment. Are they just all scared? Are they all cowards under your frame? Is it just that, you know, they're too cowed by a former president uh, or what his supporters would do? What does that say about them? I mean, I had one member of Congress. I, I want to stop you right there when you say, what does that say about them? Because that's a really well-phrased question, and I'd like to take it to Jeff Flake. <laughs> well, obviously, I would, if I were in the Senate, I would vote to convict. And I hope that uh, all my colleagues do. Um, I, I think that it's uh, pretty plain what the president intended uh, for that mob. Uh, maybe he didn't know that the violence would occur, but uh, he wouldn't accept uh, an election. And so he incited the mob. And just remember a week before he was calling the Georgia Secretary of State uh, to try to uh, get him to find votes. 
I mean, that, that, so yeah, I hope my Republican colleagues will. And, and there is a lot of fear. I can tell you, there is a lot of fear among those who are still in the Republican caucus about us getting out of step with the president's base. Not so much the president anymore, uh, but his base. Uh, that is a real concern. And I hope that they'll move beyond that because I, I frankly think the president will lose influence uh, the longer he's out of office. Uh, but right now there's a real fear. I want to go to uh, audience questions in just a moment. But before we do, I want to take up one other point that um, Kimberly made in her opening statement, which is that if if we're going to propose the notion that the Republican Party has lost its way, it's a suggestion that they've lost their way, their their inability to return to power at the White House and and in the Senate, et cetera. Look, the Senate is only 50-50. As was pointed out, uh, Joe Biden, in terms of actual votes in actual states, it's tens of thousands of votes that 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 set him up under our current. I know in terms of the popular vote, he won by millions and millions. But in terms of our system, um, it would suggest he isn't that the party isn't that far away from a returned path to victory if if they can flip a few 10,000 votes here and there in the right places. So I, I want, Carlos, for you to take take on that notion that if we're going to define lost its way at all in terms of it's becoming irrelevant politically due to, as you might argue, I think your argument is for the moral reasons. Well, no, they're they're not that far away from being able to win again and uh, didn't lose by all of that much. So can you take that on? Well, that's certainly a fair point, John, but we have to remember that every election in this country is a binary choice and that a lot of Americans assumed that uh, Joe Biden was going to win the presidency, as he did, because a lot of the polling indicated that. And a lot of people chose to balance out their tickets and not uh, put the, the Democrats in an overly dominant position, as the electorate did in 2008. But for some time in this country, political parties haven't been winning elections due to their merits, uh, but instead due to the demerits or the flaws of the other party. So I think uh, we should be smart about uh, how much we read into this. And what we should look at is uh, where younger generations in this country are headed. And for younger people in this country, there's not a whole lot of tolerance for lies, for deceit, uh, for politicians who will do anything uh, to try to remain in power, including uh, cancel out a legitimate election result. So we have to take the long view here. And if we take the long view, we'll understand that this party has a lot of big challenges, has for the time being lost its way, and for the good of our democracy, the good of the party, but more broadly for the good of our democracy, we need to rescue this party so that it can be that robust conservative alternative for the average American. Please come in, Kimberly. Um, You know, overall, the party has added 10 million members to its ranks over the last four years. You saw Donald Trump increase his vote with Hispanic voters. He got almost 50 percent of them in Florida, 41 percent in Texas. One exit poll had him getting 19 percent of black uh, male voters. Okay, and then you can also look and see huge new strength, even among urban voters who are tired of violence and, and other issues in their states. Um, and so you saw these massive inroads going into the party, uh, and it's because of this wider and more diverse coalition that's out there. I do not say, I do not see how you could possibly say a party that is growing to that extent can be claimed to have lost its, its way. I'm John Donvan. This is Intelligence Squared U.S. We're right now in the middle of a debate about the future of the GOP and whether it has lost its way. When we come back, we'll hear questions from the audience as well as closing statements from our debaters. 
a reminder that we are in the midst of a debate that has this motion, the GOP has lost its way. Now let's get to audience questions. I want to move on to audience questions now. And in fact, what you just uh, said, Kimberly, is a wonderful transition to the first question I'm going to go to. It comes from Benjamin Fleck. Um, and Benjamin asks, how does the GOP realign itself in the future without splitting the party in two? Can a pro-trade, business-friendly party coexist with an anti-immigration, anti-trade party? Ben, you've done the most theorizing about the future here, so I'd like you to step in on that. And I'd also like to get a sense from you of who's going to lead this party? Who, you know, is Donald Trump, somebody else? But 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 can the party not split into two is the core question. Um, I, I think that I'll, I'll just say that right now, uh, good money would be going on Florida man. There's many options coming out of Florida who could potentially lead the party in the future. Um, I think that's more likely to be uh, people who look like Governor DeSantis, uh, perhaps. But Marco Rubio is also someone who I know uh, could bring a whole co- uh, coalition together when it comes to the Senate leadership. And we don't know how long Mitch McConnell will have that job in the future. Uh, In terms of the question about bringing people together around uh, policies, I think all of that is is something that you have to figure out on balance. I I mentioned Senator Rubio. Certainly one of the things he's learned from the last four years is to be a lot tougher in his China rhetoric uh, than he has in the past when it came to both trade-related policies uh, and, you know, bringing it up as, as a recurring issue on Hong Kong, on the Uyghur Muslims, et cetera. On immigration, I think people have been very clear. They want a border that we can control that is not porous. And unfortunately, I think that early Biden administration policies will make this an issue that comes to the fore again. It's going to have to be balanced, but I think one of the big things that we will see is a lot of these corporate dollars are not going to flow the GOP anymore. They will have to replace them. And you can see in the early NRSC numbers, their senatorial committee uh, from this first month under uh, another Florida man, Rick Scott, uh, they had enormous uh, success when it came to small dollar donations. uh, And they were using people like even Josh Hawley, as controversial as he is, uh, to do that kind of fundraising. That's what the small dollars flow to. And they replace the corporate PAC money that's going to go out and probably going to go to the Democratic side. Jeff, let me take the same question to you. Do do you see such a split as uh, um, plausible, likely, avoidable? It's avoidable, but it's going to be difficult to avoid. I mean, we we have uh, a number of issues as Republicans. Uh, Millennials have been walking away from the party, I think, for a while. And now they're in a dead sprint. Um, And uh, women, uh, college-educated voters, uh, we're losing a lot there. Uh, we have made inroads in some other areas, but I would uh, say as well, um, George, or Donald Trump did well among Hispanics in Texas. Uh, so did George W. Bush. And around the country, I think he adds 40-some percent around the country. So it's not just Donald Trump that can get these these uh, these votes. But the fact that if, if the NRSC is simply going to double down on, you know, the anti-impeachment or the, the Josh Hawley money that can come in, uh, that, I think, just suggests that we're in deeper trouble than we think. If we think that uh, we're going to grow as a party and going to be able to win some of these purple states, uh, both with Senate races and the presidential race, um, by doubling down on Donald Trump or these kind of politics, I think that's just the, the wrong direction to go. It's going to be difficult to avoid a schism that is certainly uh, taking place right now. Kimberly, what happens if uh, 
Donald Trump, as expected, uh, survives the uh, process in the Senate and runs again? Look, this is why we have primaries. This is why we have elections. And I think that there are a lot of Republicans out there right now who are very resentful of the notion that some people are so nakedly. And I think that that, that, that can only be addressed. They're actually trying to use this process uh, because they want to exile him from being able to take part in that process again. And that's the kind of thing that really would engender a split in the party. Look, one of the things that I think is fascinating uh, is that if you look at the Republican Party, uh, they learned something from Donald Trump over the last couple of years, which is that you do have to address these issues, all right? It doesn't mean that you have to throw over the notion of trade. You don't have to throw over the notion of getting some sort of changes in immigration policy that are for the good. Um, but that you have to address those huge voter concerns that are out there. Look, if you look at, there was a Gallup poll from 2020, May 2020, so just less than a year ago. And if you look, almost 64% of Americans felt that immigration should stay the same or decrease the numbers. Okay, I'm not in that camp. I'm a pro, uh, pro-immigration pro person. But you can't, as a politician, expect to go on and not pay attention to an issue that 64% of the country on both sides the aisle uh, feel is important. So there's going to be a new generation of Republican leaders. They've learned but, well, a lot but from can, Trump can about- I, can I, I'm sorry to break in, but can I come back to the question? If you were sitting in the Senate now, would you vote to convict him if you felt that that would be a successful vote? Would you want to get him out of the picture? I wouldn't do it because I know for a fact what it would do to the party. It really would alienate a number of people. The natural progression here needs to be for everyone to have a debate about what comes next. And I think that, you know, while you do have a certain percentage of people who are diehard Trump fixtures, a lot of them simply liked the way he governed. And you're going to see a whole raft of politicians. Uh, you see it now trying to get some of that populist vibe and offering, they'll offer an alternative to him and the, and the party will have that debate. And Jeff, same question to you. If you were still sitting in the Senate right now as this impeachment process is brought to you? Um, yeah, I'd vote to convict. Uh, one, because it's the right thing to do. It's appropriate punishment for his actions. Uh, but uh, I frankly think in terms of what it will do to the party, you know, you've got to put that aside and do the right thing. Uh, having said that, I, I don't think, you know, I, I don't think, one, the president will be convicted in the Senate. But I don't think that he'll run again either. I think that he'll try to uh, exercise influence. But I think if these impeachment hearings are doing anything, I hope that it's showing Republicans we've got to move beyond this man. There's simply nothing good for the party or for the country um, by uh, continuing you know, to follow him. It's just uh, th- this ought to be telling us that, if nothing else, uh, this impeachment hearing, if we didn't know it already. I want to go to another question. This one comes from um, Ari Ethorison. It's for Kimberly. Trump has been attempting to overthrow and change the election results. How do you reconcile that with your support of smaller government reach? First of all, I don't agree with Trump's moves to refuse to accept the election results. I did agree that there was good cause for him to engage in some litigation and to question some because we had an unprecedented election in which a lot of rules have been changed before then. Um, One of the things that I I have continued to be a little boggled by over the past four years is these definitions of of Trump as an autocrat, um, as a budding dictator. Um, I would actually argue in terms of that question, 
uh, the fact that we are having smaller government uh, explains uh, why that should not necessarily have been a concern. You know, budding autocrats are not people who cut the size of federal government. You know, budding autocrats are not people who give allow people to keep more of their money, uh, giving them more power away from the federal government. And we had a lot of hyperventilating over the last couple of years about how Trump was uh, breaking the Constitution and etc. Now, in the end, there is this last issue where he did uh, not accept the election results, which I thought was bad behavior and a bad decision. Uh, the Senate has an institution and, and the House in which they are going through this process. Again, I would point out that most of, of Mr. Flakes and Mr. Carvello's colleagues do not agree with them on the, the notion of what uh, how far this rises and whether it rises to the questions of impeachment. That's not because they're craven. It's not because they're scared. It's because they truly don't believe it. And that's a debate for those parties to have. But, um, you know, the notion that uh, somehow we turned over the government to to a dictator for the past four years is belied by the fact that he's currently sitting in Mar-a-Lago. Okay, well, that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where the resolution is the GOP has lost its way. And now we move on to the third round. And the third round is comprised of closing remarks by all four debaters in turn. Those will be just two minutes each. It's their last chance to try to persuade you to vote with their side in our second vote. So let's move on to Closing statements, our first closing statement on the resolution the GOP has lost its way here is Carlos Cabello. John, my family came from Cuba some 60 years ago. All of them came to the United States, naturalized, became patriotic Americans and registered in the Republican Party. Why? Because they knew that it was the party that was best equipped to fight the lies of communism and tyranny. My dad used to tell me when I was growing up, Son, remember the Americans do things differently. They don't do things the way we have done things in our countries. They don't lie. They don't cheat. They're respectful even when they disagree. The Republican Party that my dad so passionately believed in has changed and at the current time has lost its way because it has lost its authority to fight lies because it has embraced lies. A leader who is afraid, who does not express simple truths, cannot be an effective leader. And what we need for our party, but more importantly for our country, is a healthy Republican Party where people look into the camera and tell the American public the facts and the truth and then ask them for their support based on their policy agenda. But you cannot lie and offer an attractive policy agenda as a substitute. So that's why it's so important for everyone to recognize the simple truth that the Republican Party has lost its way. Please cast your vote so that we can get on with the business of fixing this party and renewing our democracy. Thank you very much, Carlos. Our next closing statement is against the resolution. It comes from Ben Dominich. Ben, your closing, please. Thank you, John. Uh, parties are not one man. They are made up an, of an ideological coalition of people of shared minds and shared values. In 1981, Ronald Reagan said, trust the people. This is the one irrefutable lesson of the entire post-war period, end quote. The GOP of 40 years ago chose Reaganism as the answer to the challenges of the time. 
But time inevitably creates new challenges that Reaganism alone can't answer. No leader's program should be blindly followed for generations, as Reagan himself would agree. In the decades since, the GOP oversaw the hollowing out of the American middle class, the wasting of American prestige on nation-building wars, China pillaging our economy, uh, recurring violence on porous borders, an explosive opioid epidemic, and all they all while aiding the rise of a global corporate elite who quite honestly hate the beliefs of so many ordinary GOP voters. But when you step back, that period looks like an aberration, inconsistent with the GOP's approach as a whole. That's because the GOP hasn't lost its way, it's found it. Bertolt Brecht wrote in his famous poem, The Solution, about the people having forfeited the confidence of their government that would it not be easier in that case, it'd be simpler for the government to dissolve the people and elect another. In countries like China, you can dissolve the people, but that's not what we do here in America. Instead, parties must seek to listen to their constituents, to hear their concerns, and to harmonize their aims with their priorities. That's what today's GOP is doing as a party, and that's why you should vote against the motion. Thanks very much, Ben. Our next debater will be speaking in support of the motion. It's Jeff Lake. Jeff, your closing, please. Thank you, John. Um, I would just ask those who are about to vote here, um, look where we are today. We're in the middle of an impeachment hearing, an impeachment trial, um, to determine whether or not a president is barred from public office in the future for trying to hold on to an election that he did not win, to try to overturn using any means at his disposal uh, to put aside the hallmark of our democracy, a fair, peaceful transfer of power. That's where we are today as a party. And too many in our party are defending that man, are ready to go down with that ship. If that's not a party that has lost its way, I don't know what is. Now, as Carlos said, we desperately need to reclaim the mantle that has animated the party for years limited government, economic freedom, individual responsibility, strong American leadership across the globe. These are principles that can propel us into the future if we can debate them. But we can't debate them if we completely will not accept truth. The truth is we lost this last election. We need to go forward finding better arguments to bring people to our side at the table. I believe we can do that. I believe that this is a center-right country, and it will move toward Republicans again if we can offer the policies that they like without going against truth and trying to spout lies. So the party has definitely lost its way. I hope you'll vote that way and send a signal that a Republican Party needs to be back. We need to be back. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. And finally, getting the last word in this debate, speaking against the resolution that the GOP has lost its way, Kimberly Strassel. Kimberly, your closing. One of my great frustrations with Donald Trump's failure to accept the election results and concede is that I think he lost an opportunity to define his actual purpose and role in 21st century politics. And that was a role very much like ones he'd played in his career prior to politics of the great disruptor. You know, love Trump or hate Trump, 
What he showed both parties was that they needed to reconnect with so many voters out there who have felt overlooked by Washington and by that elite. Perhaps the biggest tribute to Donald Trump from the Democratic Party, perhaps the only one, was in fact trying to mimic his strategy of success. You know, remember the great uh, debate in the Democratic Party over where to hold their uh, nomination convention last year, and it was not Miami that won. Uh, Trump's time on the center stage is likely done, uh, but he showed a lot of politicians the way here. And what you have now is a entire group of upcoming Republican leaders that intend to build on that, to harness the energy uh, that you've seen growing out there, and which is undeniable uh, given the election results and what we saw with inroads in terms of minority voters, Latino voters, uh, urban voters who are tired of violence and the failure to educate their kids, uh, rural and working class voters who are tired of being governed by faraway bureaucrats. Um, they are all ready to stand up and take that mantle. Um, it's a party that I think Ben so eloquently put it has found its way. And just remember, again, you cannot define a party as having lost its way that just had such an amazing policy run, that just had such a great election day. It simply doesn't comport with facts or evidence, and we have to define it somehow. That's the best way. So I ask you to please vote against the motion. Thank you, Kim, and thank you to all of our debaters as that concludes the final round of this Intelligence Squared debate. And now I have the results of the vote on our motion the GOP has lost its way. Before the debate, in polling our live audience, 69% of you agreed with the resolution, 17% were against, and 14% were undecided. Let's look at the second result. Again, the team arguing for the motion, their first result was 69%. Their second vote was 72%. They picked up three percentage points. That three is the number to beat. The team against the resolution, their first vote was 17%. Their second vote was 22%. So they picked up 5%. The against side picked up more points than the for side. So that means the team arguing against the resolution by a squeaker has won the debate defeating the motion that the GOP has lost its way. Our congratulations to that team, but frankly, our congratulations to all four debaters for being here, for bringing their arguments, and for doing so in such a civil and positive manner. For me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared, we'll see you next time. I want to thank you, our audience, for tuning into this episode of Intelligence Squared. I hope that you enjoyed it just as much as we did. Intelligence Squared is a nonprofit generously funded by listeners like you and by the Rosencrantz Foundation. Claire Connor is our CEO. David Ariosto is head of editorial. Amy Kraft is chief of staff and leads production. And Shay O'Mara is our consulting producer. Jen Zelmer is our senior researcher. Damon Whittemore is our radio producer. Robert Rosencrantz is our chairman. And I'm your host... John Donvan.